Hello everyone, welcome to the CLI Podcast. My name's Sam, as always, I've got my trusted friend and podcast sidekick, Mr. Chris Vance. How you doing, mate? How are you, mate? You alright? All good, all good. Tonight's podcast, uh, we've got no sponsor, so we do whatever we want. Uh, but tonight's live guest, he's a Liverpool singer-songwriter who's had an unbelievable 18 months, absolutely unbelievable. Trained as an electrician, ditching the day job, is now living his best life. He's performed in front of 60,000 people at the Champions League final fan park event. And his new album, We Get Bags, is available to pre-order and stream on music services from the 21st of order. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Jamie Webster. How are you doing, mate? Hey! Yeah. What's up, man, fellas? Is all right? Yeah, nice oh, for having me on. Absolute pleasure, uh, mate. Absolute okay. pleasure. Now, reading that intro, 60,000 people, Champions League final fan park event. What, what goes through your mind? That, that is just unbelievable. Tell us. Yeah, I mean, it's it doesn't really ever sit in with you, you know, that you've you've actually done something like that. I mean, I just remember the, the hour that I was on stage, I gave it everything I had, and thankfully there's loads of videos to, to remind me that it was real, you know what I mean? I, I tend not to look look at them too much, but, you know, I think it was the, the one-year anniversary not not too long ago, and I do that, I, I won't lie, I spent, spent a couple of hours looking at videos from that day, you know, from all different angles and part of that fan path it was just yeah it's probably the I don't think many if you as a musician I don't think you can ask for much more do you know what I mean uh, I'd be very very lucky if I got to do something like that again you know and it's a day that I, I say I'll, I'll, I'll have with me for the rest of my life and it's definitely one for the grandkids isn't it you know what I mean oh absolutely well it's it's one of those days where it kind of makes football history but then you become part of that history if you know what I mean People will remember that moment as as a fan, as 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 a player. Even we will know what's going on outside the ground for the atmosphere. It must just be uh, amazing to be a part of of something so special for Liverpool Football Club. Yeah, I mean, like first and foremost, I was a fan, wasn't I? So, like, well, I still am a fan, but like, you know, for for years and years and years before before all this, you know. I was I was a football fan and following Liverpool around the country and across Europe every single week was was what I done that was what, how I chose to spend my life so like obviously now looking back that I'm actually I had such a part to play in in one of the biggest days of you know sort of my era following Liverpool yeah you do you pinch yourself and like you know it's next the only thing that could have topped it would have been playing on the pitch that night. Do you know what I mean? It's the only thing that I think you could have, you could have topped it with, or sitting next to Jurgen Klopp on the on the bench. Do you know what I mean? I just like you, you, uh, as a fan, it's like it's a dream come true. Like to to, to to as a musician as well. At the same time, you know, to, to have that that much interaction from sixty thousand people, it's like it's it's you can't really put into words. I don't like. Yeah. I think I think maybe once you. You was, if you were to do it all the time, I think you could maybe describe it a bit better. But because it was just a one-off, unbelievable sort of adrenaline and like ecstasy-filled moment, you know what I mean? It was just like when I say ecstasy, I don't mean like in the terms of drugs. I just mean like natural, ecstatic feeling. You know, like you know, yeah, standing euphoria, just standing on that stage. Do you remember doing it? Is it a blur or, or standing? I don't remember every second of it. Don't get me wrong. I hadn't I hadn't drank a drop of alcohol that day because I wanted to make sure that I was like on point. It was the best biggest biggest day of my life. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like 
I wanted to make sure that I, that I, that I remembered everything. But yeah. I think the adrenaline probably took a bit of the memory away from me. You know what I mean? I remember, I remember looking out and just seeing absolute chaos at various different points. <laughs> and I remember, I remember, I remember going onto the stage. I remember the Van Dyke song, and I remember LA, LA, LA at the end. They're like the three, three like big points, yeah. you know. And actually, me, Paddy the Baddy as well, uh, the the cage fighter from Liverpool. He's, he's a mate of mine. <laughs> yeah, he's great, Paddy. He's uh, I actually spotted him in the crowd. He was sat on top of uh, <laughs> like about three, three or four thousand, maybe even more than probably about ten thousand deep. <laughs> and I just seen this blonde long hair come on top of a <laughs> on top of like this mon not the monument but it was almost like a it was like a raised bit. Yeah. I don't know what it was. He was sat there's loads of people on there. But I noticed him and I, I actually let on to him halfway through the gig and said the right pad. <laughs> and I seen it. And I seen him looking round to think has he actually spotted me there and then he put his hand back up and yeah they did the, 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 the things I remember about the uh, the day and obviously having my family and girlfriend behind me on a stage as well, you know, and all the lads from Boss Night. That was like, yeah, it was, it was an unbelievable experience. But then, you know, we got to go on and win the European Cup after that, so it got better. Do you know what I mean? It wasn't a, it was a cracking day. Do you know, like, obviously, it's like the take it all the way back and 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 tell us how you got into music. Was, was music always been in your life? Did you did you learn guitar from a young age? How how did you get into music? Well. My mum, funny enough, my mum loved music. My mum and dad both loved music, different genres and different styles, like, equally. But uh, my mum, like, sort of taught herself guitar when she was younger. But oh. but she didn't, she didn't, she, I think she taught herself a couple of chords and then forgot them. So, like, she always said that one of her biggest regrets was not being able to play an instrument. You know, she'd love to be able to play. So she, she was always, she said she always wanted their kids to play music and maybe in the, you know, eight, nine-year-old that I was when she wanted me to get guitar lessons. I just wanted to play football in the streets and, you know, ride around on my bike and, you know, be a little tear-away sort of thing. So, <laughs> uh, my mum, like, obviously, used to take me to lessons and stuff after this, like, after this place around the corner from my primary school, which done, like, music lessons. And I used to go there, but I'd never practised, you know, like, in the week. I just never ever practiced in between me lessons and like once I got to about 10 I think she realised like that I just you know I just didn't really like it and it wasn't something that I was well like that either of us thought I was going to do but it was funny because she always used to say to me when I was learning you'll thank me one day you'll thank me one day <laughs> and I never thought that day I never thought that day would come because I thought well what am I going to do with guitar and then once it was about I always loved listening to music loved singing you know what I mean? It wasn't like I, I didn't enjoy music. Just playing classical guitar really wasn't something that I wanted to do. And I listened to a lot of dance music and rap as a kid. And then when I got to, like, 30... And I used to listen to, like... My mum used to love Genesis and Bowie. Uh, my dad loved the Squeeze. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, just Squeeze. My dad loved a lot of Rat Pack as well, Motown. So I always, like, listened... I, I knew a lot of music, do you know what I mean? And... Once I discovered the likes of the Beatles, Oasis, when I was about 13, 14, Kings of Leon, their early stuff was just amazing. And yeah, it just like I got a book for it then, like most kids who play guitar now did. Do you know what I mean? You're just infatuated yeah. by Oasis and the Beatles. Like, well, the Beatles sort of edged me in with, with certain songs because we were learning about them in music at the time in school. And I remember like them sort of paving the way. 
But once I got into Oasis, like I literally learned. I think once I, once I decided, like you know what, I, I'm gonna pick that guitar back up. I'm gonna play it. Uh, I taught myself a couple of chords, and thankfully, my finger sort of shapes were, were still. I mean, I'd still sort of my muscle memory over it was, as I'd remembered, and I just started strumming and strumming and playing a couple of chords, and Oasis was just like I think the first. Song I learned was I'm Out of Time by Oasis, the latest, the last album he done. And I, I like, I remember singing it, and then I learned, and then it was like, learned Songbird, learned, and just remember just nailing 40, 50 Oasis tunes, you know, like, to just sort of get me, and then from there, it just like, I just developed then, and I'd say like, I'd say Bob Dylan is my biggest influence out of anyone, you know, wow. like, in the music industry, because while I was away Beatles, like like obviously being from Liverpool, obviously paved paved the way in the music music industry for for rock and roll in in a way, you know, over here. But Bob Dylan was like the stories that he told in his music. It was like he just spoke to me so much, and I just remember thinking like I remember him seeing a quote that he'd said, and it was like I've actually used it for me last single release, but. He said, "I've got three anything else's jazz or something like that." He said, "Wow!" And uh, and I thought, you know what? Like, I could if he can do that in them chords and telling what he thinks is the truth, and you know, speaking from his perspective and and just just like laying everything out or open and honest on the table, like I can do that as well. And you probably listen if you listen to the, to my songs, me out it's the lyrics are quite strong in all of them, you know, the, 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 the lyrics are always thought through, they're not just sort of a couple of cliche lines thrown together or anything like that, it's always, there's always another meaning or a story or a bit of depth to me lyrics, and that's all, that's all come from Dylan, like, it's just, and people like Johnny Cash as well, as well, like, I had a massive part in, in like, particularly me later developments, but, uh, yeah, that's what, how I sort of got into it. What was your first gig? I always remember my first gig, the bass, there was a bass line and the lead guitarist, he, he was like, right, I've smashed this for everyone. Got, and the bass line, he, the, the lead guitarist's head just fell off and <laughs> the bass line went off for about 10 minutes. It was the most horrendous moment ever. <laughs> and everyone has that first gig when they just get on stage and it's, it's horrendous, the nerves, and something goes wrong. What was your first gig? My first gig? My first gig was in the not the cab not the cab not the cabin club the cabin club cabin. At the cabin yeah. at the shop yep. opposite the Bondal Church yeah. downstairs in there uh, yeah a few lads from our pracky room that we had at the time like the lads in the band next door they uh, one of their brothers went and and like all all their family basically worked in there and they they they'd been they used to do like. Friday nights DJing and then they got this chance to put like a couple of bands on so yeah. they, they, they went around the pracking rooms asking who wanted to play and we'd never even you know like I say we didn't even we'd never even thought about gigging at that point and we had something to work towards then it was like I was in a band at the at the time and don't be wrong it was a set I can't remember much of the gig but I remember being that nervous <laughs> that I was just looking at the microphone the whole gig so I was singing into I was just looking at the microphone and I don't know what it sounded like up front, you know what I mean? The PA yeah. system was like, I don't even know if it was a PA system, do you know what I mean? <laughs> but it was just, it's just like, that. it's a good way to learn. And 
And like if you get over your nerves quickly. Obviously it was my first ever gig, so I had loads of family there, loads of friends there. So they were all dead supportive and clapped clapped their heads off after every single song and that. But yeah, I always remember it being really no but particularly then it was really, really nerve wracking. But hard work to get I'm even you when know, you've done some amazing gigs, but you never forget that first gig. It's just horrendous. No. And, and like I say, no. And, and like I say, the, the, it's with it for me. I mean, we, we actually played the gig. I remember, like, like this is actually, like, towards the end of the band. And this is probably why it was towards the end of the band. But we played the gig in the shipping forecast. And, and a band from Wales who literally, I think they'd sold, like, 20 tickets. Like shipping forecast only holds 150 anyway, but it was on a Thursday night and these tickets were eight quid, and we were like 15, 16, and we were like the promoter. We said to the promoter, like, who do you think is gonna pay eight quid to come on a Thursday night to come and watch us support this this Welsh band? Like, it's not you. We're not gonna sell any tickets. So obviously we weren't getting paid for the gig, but we still turned up, and there was nobody in the room by the time it was our time to the. But we we sound checked. So we finished sound check and we said, right, what time are doors open? He said, doors open uh, five minutes ago. You're on stage in 10. Oh, God. Like, n- literally, like n- literally. So we played the gig with nobody in the room. And uh, towards the, the third to last song, the bass player's Mar turned up to give us a bit of support and give us a lift home. And, like, that was, that was like, uh, like, and uh, funny enough, I had never played the ship and forecast again, and I still haven't because I was meant to do it for me single release, me debut single. Oh yeah. And and it sold out in like five hours, so we upgraded the venue. Yeah. So from playing to no one there and the venue selling out in a matter of hours, it was just like it was a nice. <laughs> I made up to be honest, double memories of that place. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the, the the early gigs are always ones that probably stick in your mind more, I suppose, because you feel absolutely every second of them. Like yeah. well, like like as you you know, Chris, being a musician yourself, like there's a sad when you when you're playing that much and you're playing live that much, it's like a second nature to you. Yeah. yeah. And like you know, particularly with some of the Liverpool gigs that I do, I can be I can be absolutely drained, dead, buried in the backstage room before the gig. Like you'd probably walk in sometimes and think, oh, how's he gonna get up and do what he does? But as soon as you step on. To that stage, and you feel the people in the room, and you're that used to it. You just and you perform, and you don't even think about it. But you display it. You, you know, you, you're running on adrenaline there, and it's all there. It just comes to you. But it's it's like a second nature. But early on, when you're trying to find your groove and you're trying to find that sort of presence that you have on stage and build it, it's really hard. So, like you say, you feel absolutely every moment of the gig. But now for me, like even though I know they're enjoyable and. I've only got to look at the crowds to know I'm doing my job, but you know it is. Sometimes gigs can pass you by, and you think, "Well, I know." Like where did that where did that time go? I felt like I was on stage about five minutes there. Do you know what I mean? Because it's it's that natural. I, 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 do you feel like Liverpool has got a, a, a sound? I've always said Liverpool's got a unique sound. It's like a jingly jangly kind of uh, open. Yeah, it's, it's almost bed, it's like bedroomy, isn't it? It's like bedroomy, isn't it? Almost. Yeah. Because you've got a distinct sound. As a, as a guitarist, you know, I, I, as a guitarist in Liverpool, myself, we've, we've all got a sound. But you've got such a distinct 
upstroke down down start. Where did that come from? It, from? Um, well, to be honest, I'm, I remember it in the Arctic Monkeys song. I covered an art years ago, a certain romance, and it literally it's 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 upstrung for most of the way. Yeah. Um, and I just remember playing it on the acoustic years ago, and then Jerry Cinnamon brought out a few a lot of stuff with an upstrung in, and I thought, you know, like that's a brilliant, but particularly when it was when it's just me and a guitar, I thought what a better way to get people dancing than to to have that beat off the top of your guitar, and it just sort of developed and it just started to work, you know, like. Yeah. I think well, I think I trialed it once, and it just like every the crowd just sort of go for because it, it's the most natural thing to dance to on the beat every time. That you know beat. what I mean? Yeah, and it's just it's it's like just it's it's like you just start tapping your beats automatically. Do you know what I mean? When when you hear it, and it just just it, it developed me live, made me live game so much more. Like developing that stuff, and I, and also like I hit the guitar, like. Ten times harder than anyone should hit a guitar. Do you know, like I like to, I snap strings every two gigs at least. Do you know what I mean? On on, and these are like 12, 13 gauge acoustic strings. Do you know what I mean? Like, you just, uh, I, I just, I've always had that uh, sort of raw, raw and heavy-handed approach towards the guitar. I think. Do you have a heck as well? No, um, I think it's like 60, 63. Yeah. Yeah, just heavy on the beat and uh, heavy coming down on it. And even when I'm playing singular notes, I tend to notes I tend to make them quite stabby and like almost angry. You know what I mean? It's like I say, make the guitar sound angry and and put, like almost particularly with the Liverpool gigs. Try and make it sound like a you know like as if it's like my battle weapon. You know what I mean? You're going to, like you want it as loud and sort of rootsy and like you say raw as as it can be. Just, it's just more whole. That, I think that's stemmed your kind of career so far, hasn't it? It's got you've got a unique sound. You've got lyrics that kind of in your new new stuff, which we'll talk about a bit later on. It's it's you've got a a, a unique little sound, which is what I think is making you different. And I think that's working from coming from like the Boss Nights to your originals. Why it'll it'll work? Because I think you you've you've took that approach. Into your original music as well, so it's it's working, I think. Yeah, no, this right, I mean, this right, I mean, it's real. Do you know what I mean? It's uh, I haven't tried to. It's, I think it's sort of just what what's come out of me. I haven't tried to force it in any way, or I haven't sat down for hours and thought, you know, like how how can I make this sound seem this way? It's just like it's just, just me, there. I suppose. Yeah, it's just there. It's 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 raw. It's ready. It's real, particularly with the lyrics and. It's it it is me. It's it's. I, I'm not the greatest guitarist in the world. I'm not even. I'm not the greatest singer in the world. But you know, I can entertain people in my own way. And like I've got I've got a little something unique. I'd I'd like to think about myself. And yeah, hopefully it's it's enough to to keep people interested and keep people listening. Do you know what I mean? It's certainly, there's certainly enough listening on Spotify. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, say weekends in paradise is approaching a million now. Um, it's just gone up to nine hundred thousand, but. That does about thirty thousand streams. So it, it should be, you know, we're talking a million within, within maybe, maybe then maybe a month, which would be amazing to have. Me up, like, well, it's not a Liverpool song. Yeah. Um, you know, released on Friday. That's that's up to thirty thousand streams now. 
which yeah. is in less than a week. I'm just I'm made up with the support I get on on uh, on Spotify. I, everything, you know, I'm also overwhelming when you you know the people are taking the time to to listen to your music and yeah, it's just I'm just grateful for it. Where did the um, as I say, the boss night is where you made your name and you're taking on. How did the boss nights come about? Did you just do a gig and you started singing the Liverpool songs and and? No, no. Not at all. It was um, basically Boss Night was was originally a fanzine magazine called Boss Mag, right? And it's been started up probably about thirteen, fourteen years ago. The magazine, okay. And uh, yeah, it was just it wasn't really particularly about football. It was more about what you've done on your way to football or what you've done on the way home. More about someone who missed the train home from Brighton away and ended up having to jump on. A National Express book got stuck, got stuck in halfway home, and you know what I mean. Mm. Just like nearly like stuff that happens to the everyday person, like Liverpool and yeah. stories about like you know what what's like a scouse outfit to wear and what's like a not scouse outfit to wear, and just like all sorts of little funny anecdotes and stories and, yeah, yeah. and shit like that. So it it had a lot of you know the local Liverpool fans and really like just. Everyone, you know, the, the magazines would sell out every time. Right. So they decided that they'd use this platform to, to basically, because Liverpool were playing a lot of games on a Sunday at the time. This is going back now, probably about ten years, yeah, about nine, ten years. And he said, "Well, why don't we start something up on a Sunday where we have all local musicians playing in town after Liverpool game, and right. all every week you sort of know each other." They can all go there, and they can, you know, they can let their air off, you know, and they can t- continue the match day. Then, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, sort of thing, and it just started off like, like local bands and and solo artists playing, not not Liverpool songs, just original material and covers as yeah. well. Just just you know, just to to give some place some people somewhere to go. It was just more about doing something for for the for the hardcore Liverpool fans for them to. Somewhere to congregate together after the football, and you know, like feel part of something. And obviously, at this time, I'd split up with with like all the bands that I was in, and I was playing cover gigs around town just on the acoustic. Yeah. And I'd started going to match home and away. A few of the lads off on my coach just in a couple of weeks called Boss Night to do a few of them. I think I'd been to one of them before, but it was too it was that was dead busy and dead sweaty, so. We sort of just hung around outside. I was only about 17, so we hung around outside and got off. Uh, but then I remember they, they said, well, why don't you ask the lads if you can play? Beware, beware. You're only going to be around anyway. We'd be going to match. So, yeah. And it was after a derby. I think it was that we played Everton. And I think Everton might, Everton might have finished above us, actually. That's how long ago it was. Uh, and I think it was a nil-nil draw. It was a bore, like, really boring game. And I played in, in Oscar's bar, just like six covers at the start of the set. Yeah. But because because everyone in the room sort of knew who I was through going the match, like you recognised the face. I don't think I'd even sort of believe that I could play guitar. And just because the type of character I am, the type of character I am, and the, the you know the just the support I received straight away was overwhelming. I'd never like I'd never had like a reaction like that before at one of my gigs. You know, even though I was just playing covers, it was still. It was a great feeling, and the lads up in John all day just said to me, you know, come back, we'll be able to put you on the next one, we'll give you the better slot, because, you know, you really impressed us. 
just there, everyone moved So that she started moving up and up the bill. And I literally started headlining them shows, not singing a single Liverpool song. It was just like, I was just doing covers. covers. And then all of, a, all of a sudden, like, Brendan Rodgers came and we started challenging for the league title. And there was also loads of inspiration knocking around, you know, around amongst you know, Jordan Henderson was playing unbelievable at the time, with sort of prevalence and these like little songs like started getting made up between me and the fans actually at the gigs you know, like as I was on stage and we'd sing them for hours and hours on end the same song just like because it was that favourite that good and that's how it sort of started to build um, the club started to get involved then because they'd seen footage on social media yeah. the club then where the Liverpool songs fully came in Liverpool SC asked me to do provide some audio for a documentary called Liverpool Sound and it's it's about the Liverpool songs. So they give me 50, they give me fifteen to twenty Liverpool to learn for this documentary. So then me obviously having all my residencies around the pub as a cover artist and playing the boss nights. I've just been given a blessing in disguise really because yeah. I learned twenty Liverpool songs and uh, start as soon as I started playing them in my sets it just started to, to, like, it was, like, sort of, no one had done that before, and, you know, certainly not while, while I'd been playing music, while I'd been playing music, you know what I mean? It was on airs on for someone to play Liverpool songs at a gig, and started doing it, and it just, like, the rest is history, really. It just spiralled and spiralled, and, like, some Mo Salah songs, and LA, 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 just took me completely, you know, further than ever, than that, you know, where I am now, and it's, it's led me to, you know, releasing an album and everything, so... Let's uh, let's talk about the album then. So it comes out on the twenty first of August this year. I bet a lot of uh, a lot of stuff's being cancelled because of this bloody virus. I mean, yeah, I mean, most of the stuff that I had booked in was this summer was, was seen related gigs. We were obviously we were due already, and you know <laughs> that that should that should come back sooner rather than later. But but uh, you know. I basically first title, big title in thirty years. Every Liverpool fan around the world wants a wants a wants a title winning party at some time. And because of obviously my role over the last eighteen months playing for fans around the world, a lot of them parties wanted Jamie Webster to come and play for them and yeah. I, honestly I was I was absolutely all over the globe like in this period. And it would have been like the summer of my life, really. And uh, obviously, a lot of the, I don't know if they've been one hundred percent cancelled. I'm sure we'll reschedule them, but you know, uh, unfortunately, you know, it's it's put on hold. But I'm not the only one who's not gigging at the moment, and I'm not the only one who who was going to have a sort of breakthrough summer, if you like. And you know, like I've, everybody's everybody's had to compromise this thing, so. You know, I've just been trying to make the best of a bad situation and get myself fit write a couple more songs and learn a little bit of recording and stuff like that. You've seen your, your Instagram, you've been out on your bike with uh, Timo and Dave. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we, go, we, go, we go out every Friday morning at five, uh, five in the morning. Yeah. Um, and, we, and we get out and we do, we do about 30 kilometres and we get home before anyone's left for work. It's great. I, I, once a week, we do, we've been done for about the last month. It's been great. Uh, just you know, get out that early on the bike. There's no one on the road, so you feel like you've got the the whole city to yourself. It's just 
Yeah. And then you feel so alive. Yeah. But... but it's good company to wear to have. Oh, well, Tim, <laughs> Tim O's too... like... Yeah. yeah, Tim O's one of the most wacky people like you'll ever meet, but like <laughs> in the best way possible, you know what I mean? And he's, he's sure he and Tim O, he knows absolutely all sorts of facts about Liverpool as a city and the history of like different areas when you're on your bike with him he tells you these things and you're like absolutely gobsmacked and it's like honestly it's it's it, 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 with Timo it's a privilege that everybody should have at least once in their life because Timo's made me a better person and like I've looked up to Timo a lot because we can just be in the past with the maybes and obviously the T-Street band like when I was signing my record deal, uh, I, and and even when I have problem problems now, not just with the my own music, but it's not all smooth sailing on the road. And you know when I have problems, he's a good person to talk to, and he he's just he's just great. And Dave obviously Dave took a chance on me with my own music and gave me a record deal, and he's you know I an awful lot of me me last me success over the last couple of years. Uh, well, not over the last year to Dave, you know, so, yeah. Because one of the things I want to do, ask you, obviously the album's coming out, you're, how easy is it to write a song? Because you've got an album there of 10, 11 songs, I'm assuming, but what's your yeah. process in writing a song? Because you, obviously you're famous for doing these covers, and obviously this is a big step for yourself, releasing an album of originals. What's your process? Are you more of a, writing the words down first and then coming up with the tune or is it the other way around? Well, I, I don't necessarily have a process. I don't, I've written songs either way around, really, you know what I mean? Sometimes you, you're thinking about something and lyrics can just literally come to your head. And, um, yeah, you know, you, you, you know, the lyrics will start writing themselves in your head. So you get a piece of paper and you write them down or you write the ideas down. And you might have an idea for the melody for them lyrics in your head, but you might not. You might just have literally like a poem in your head, mm-hmm. just line after line after line. Uh, and, you know, I, I've done things that way before, but and I tried to build the music around the lyrics. But, like, lately, lately I've been basically, i found a good way to do it is I, I try and work out a sort of chord progression, uh, something that's nice, something that's sort of like a little bit catchy. And then I'll, I'll hum. I'll hum my vocal melody to that. But I'll try like two or three different vocal melodies to that. So I'll be stumbling along and I'll be and then like I might try something else and go you know like and you could literally and I'll choose and I put out the time. So I'll record that. I'll three voice recordings on my phone of me playing the guitar with me humming this melody along to it. So if, if I think the melody's catchy enough and I've worked it out how I want it to, I'll then try and write lyrics to fit in with the melody. But one thing is a say with my songwriting, every song, like I said before, every song has a concept, you know, like, uh, I, like I, don't, I don't just put it out there for the, like, for the sake of putting words to the music. I, like, I like to think that it's, it's, like with with the album, for example, the whole album is like a concept album. It takes you on. A, I like songs and particularly albums to take you on a journey. So like, I've got like the. I don't want to give too much away, but 
I've structured the track listing of the album in a way that it tells a sort of story. It's like the middle part of the album is quite political, and then the the, the end of the album is quite celebratory. Mm. After the album, ask asks like not so much political questions, but ask questions of like people of working class people and and documents the lives of working class people. Do you know what I mean? And uh, it's it's very like. I, I haven't written it like single up, like single by single. I've like, uh, I'm trying to take people on a journey, you know what I mean? I think that's what music should do. I just think. Yeah. I think, well, the Ingalls song's got a give, which is, which is out. It, it came out on the 5th of June. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, the lyrics on that one, when, when I've listened to it, they're completely kind of different from what I, um, I've heard from you before. They're quite powerful lyrics, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, sorry, I'm just uh, getting a charge here. here, here, here. <laughs> <laughs> just, just flap it off, uh, I tell you what, while like Jamie the... is uh, sorting out his charger, well, sorting out his phone uh, with a charger, it's a good uh, opportunity to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Uh, on Facebook, we are C Live. On Twitter, we are C Live Entertainer One. And on Instagram, we are Live UK. Make sure you go and follow us on all those social medias. And also check out our website as well. Our website is www.clive.co.uk. And you can find a plethora of artists, uh, acts, uh, everything from solos, duos, tributes, bands. Uh, obviously, lockdown is coming to an end. So there's going to be lots of parties, hopefully garden parties, that people are wanting maybe some form of entertainment. If you are looking for some form of entertainment, get in touch with us and we'll be able to provide that for you. Are you sorted, Jamie? Yeah. I think he's sorted. Um, yeah, I'm all good. Excellent. Well, like like we said, uh, we get buyers available uh, on the 21st uh, of August uh, this year. Um, obviously available on iTunes, Spotify, uh, all music services. Um the single itself is is unbelievable, and like you said, the the themes of the political vibes uh, are unbelievable, and it it really is a strong message, and I honestly can't wait to hear the full thing, mate. Yeah, as you say, it's it's been like as you when you're a kid, you you, you think about like especially when you're in a kid in a in a band as a youngster, you like you look at like you think recording recording a song is like the the, the penultimate sort of like. Holy yeah. Grail, and you, and then you think you look at people. I remember looking at people who were like a few years older than me doing albums, and you think, "Wow, well, you know, like how good must they be to do an album? I'd love to do an album one day." And then you hear about people who were doing albums in Past Street, and you'd be like, "Jesus, they're doing an album in Past Street!" Like, imagine that. And like, you know, bless you, I've got a lot of that. Yeah, but I've got a lot of things <laughs> for. It's like they. Dave sort of made me dream come true and give me that opportunity to do an album and, and, and do it to, like, a high quality, you know what I mean? I don't know about, like, if people don't like the tunes, but one thing, the, the, the production on the album is absolutely unbelievable. I worked with two brilliant engineers and producers in Rich Tavey and, and uh, Chris Taylor, just, like, second to none, really. Like, I've, I've heard, like, even other, other lads who were recording music in different places, working with different producers... I'm listening to their music, and while the tunes are great, the production just doesn't come close to 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 some of the production, you know, on some of my tracks. And that's not taking anything away from the artists. 
it's or, or putting anything towards me. It's it's just literally the production, like out of the lads who work in parsley's is absolutely unbelievable. The string in the new single are, are just brilliant. They 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 come in halfway through and then they just carry your message on the song because the song is quite. It is, it's got a bit of political statements in, hasn't it? It's got in the oh, middle. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's massively politic, political. Uh, like, well, you know, it's. It, I wrote that song, obviously. I know we're not talking too much about politics, but I wrote that song when, at a time, it, it wasn't wrote like quite recently. It was just, uh, I think it just sort of fell well at the time that I released it, that all this is going on in the world. But, um, you know, I wrote it at a time when I was really, really frustrated by politics and felt like the like you know it was just a game to some people and looking at Donald Trump and Boris Johnson in charge I was just like these people how are these people political leaders they're absolute fools the clowns and I just thought well you know I'm gonna I'm, the best way to get out my frustration would be to write it down in a song and there it was and they and funny enough Dave I remember writing that's that writing something's got to give in me practice room in town and I recorded it on my phone and sent it to Dave straight away and his reply was actually, I think this is your best song. I think this is, like, this is, I mean, every, you say stories in the, in the, in, in the, and, and, and it, your vocal changes, the strings are the, are the right, it just makes a bit of an impact at that moment. Yeah. It's like, you only say it once. You say it once yeah. and that's it. Yeah, just, yeah, just once. But uh, it's, it's all about catching it. Like, that's one thing that these producers and, and and obviously, like people in the music industry have, have taught me, it's about like capturing the drama of, of I'm telling stories, so you've got to capture the drama in the story, and you've got to you've got to do it the right way. And like, thankfully, the producers sort of I, I I had the vocals all me, but the way the strings have been put in, like you say, yeah. to to really yeah. ha- harness the drama and yeah. harness the emotion in in what I'm saying, uh, it's 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 brilliant. So. Yeah, I can't, I can't thank, I can't, I can't thank the lads, Richie and Chris, of Parsley. Listen to it; it's on all platforms out now, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. And the album's available. Album's available to pre-order as well from uh, the website on Townsend Music Distribution. Uh, I've got my own sort of page on there, and also it, it's on, it's in all my bios. But you can, like you say, you can pre-order it now on iTunes. Uh, I think if you've bought the the uh, original. If you've already bought the, the the four songs that I've already reduced, then you can buy the album on iTunes for like three pounds sixty nine. So you know, it's, it's, because it, it you know, like that is because you you do inspire the kids uh, out of the uh, when we I'm not working with Sam for C Live. I teach music, I teach guitar as well. Like Charlie, we know Charlie together. Uh, he's yeah, played he's your 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 boss kids nights and stuff like that. But they're always saying, "Oh, play a la la la," and and so you do inspire the kids to pick up guitar because they're they're into football. I've always said in Liverpool, you either play footy or you play music. And yeah, I, yeah. And, and they all want to play the, the the songs. Do you want to play the the la la la's? Do you want to play the Van Dyke song and keep them coming, mate? Because they, it inspires kids to play music. It really does. No, it does. I mean, I, I can't ever remember seeing so many videos of and singing, and that's because it's 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 you know close to the football and stuff like that. And like you wouldn't believe the amount of videos I get sent from parents, like just saying, <laughs> "Oh, 
this, this, this is me like 18 month old lad and he watches your video and like, these babies can't even talk and they're watching videos of me strump like hitting a guitar because they, they think that's what like my little nephew he's he's, he's turned two in March and he, he sees me playing the guitar and he got a little guitar for his birthday and he he thinks he's playing it like his uncle Jay and you know it's just it's great but like obviously the, even the kids like around I think kids around 13, 14 are getting into playing the guitar they're probably not getting up to as much mischief as they would be out on the streets so, or you know what I mean probably staying out of trouble and yeah it's, it's amazing that like you, that you think that you've I think what this singer Liverpool songs are, it sort of like started a little trend hasn't it yes. uh, like I think it, it, it happens a lot a long time ago in the in the fifties and sixties, I think people used to play footy songs in the pub that they made up and all that. Little fellas with the guitars, and it seems like it's come back around a little bit. But I'm just like, like I say, I feel really lucky to be at the forefront of that. If you like, you know, and, and like and kids, inspiring kids, and like you say, the from eighteen months up to bloody eighteen years of age, I'm getting videos. Do you know what I mean? Like out of them playing playing the guitar or their versions of the Liverpool songs and and. You, you, you can't help but take pride from it, you know what I mean? It's like... It, it's... You're, you're hitting a market that's doing well. The Liverpool are playing well at the moment. Music is always been a massive influence in this city. Um, whatever, the, whatever the city has, has produced has always been a musical heritage knocking behind it. And I think you, it's good that both are connected now with the, the Liverpool playing well. Um, you can entertain everyone. There's a buzz. You see. Yeah, like I say, it's a say it's. It's probably there's probably never been a better time apart from this. Like obviously, got before COVID, you know, like the last eighteen months, there's probably never been a better time to be a Liverpool fan with everything that's going on at the club. You know, unbelievable manager, unbelievable players, like winning trophies. You know, fans, the atmosphere at Anfield's picking up again. You know, there's all these unbelievable events for fans. There's all these platforms where you can get all this great content as a Liverpool. So obviously, you can come to a boss night and carry on your match day experience. You can come and see, not just me now. There's all sorts of kids playing Liverpool songs in all the pubs around match days. You know what I mean? You can go and see either one of them and feel part of something. You can look at the Anfield Raps content. You can look at Redmen TV's content. There's absolutely loads of stuff out there now as a Liverpool fan where you can get loads of enjoyment from and and you know really feel part part of what's going on and that's the most important part about what I do with the Liverpool gigs. It's bringing people together and making people feel part of something special and part of like a movement. If that almost you know what I mean and like it's it it, it I think what I it helps people like obviously come together but it makes you think yeah it's more than just a game this is like this is this is what we yeah. do you know what I mean this is us and it's well, you put yourself in the in the um the history books I reckon for the um the final so you, yeah. you're all, your name will always be there yeah well <laughs> thankfully I've got music out there as well now so you know that's one way that you, your name can always sort of forever stay in time but uh you know just hopefully the album Enhances my name, you know, and we can, and and more than more than anything else, hopefully that I can get back to playing live music, both at Liverpool matches and with my bands on tour, and you know, touring my album as well. We all need to get back on stage, don't we, Sam? We all do. We all do. I think, 
Everyone wants to know score prediction for the derby, mate. Uh, uh, and if derby. we win it at the derby. Yeah, well, it's a tough one because score prediction would be a lot easier if I'd have seen how Evan had played back three months, but you know, no one knows how they played. And I mean, look, I, I only looked at, looked at a few highlights of the behind closed doors game that Liverpool played against each other at Anfield the other week. And you know, I took some great positives from that because Mane looked absolutely on fire. He looked like lightning, like he looked like he was playing a game on his own, to be honest. Uh, so Based off that, I'd probably go with a Mane goal. Uh, maybe go with 2 0. Don't think it should be too troubling. I think without, I think Everton not having their fans at Goodison would help Liverpool massively, like tenfold. Because as much as like we, you know, we, we talk about we talk about Liverpool fans being intimidating on Derby Day, the way how up for it they are at Goodison. It's a horrible place to. It's a horrible place to go. They don't. They, they, they make the game not a game of football. It's almost a battle. They, they, they their fans turn that game into a battle. They're that bloodthirsty. You know what I mean? To, to, to get one over on us or or hurt us in any way. You know what I mean? That's like it. It really is because they, they don't get too many big like they, they'll say it themselves. No. They don't get too many wins against us these days. So when when they've got the home advantage, they really like to do the best to make it count. And rightly so. That's how every football team should support the team. You know what I mean? I'm not, like, ever when Liverpool go to Goodison, it's a loud, shaky stadium, and it does. It sometimes it gets to the players because we do, there's no we, we you can't beat them four five nil on field and then look like a different team sometimes when you go to Goodison. So, I think, I think for Liverpool, having Everton's not in the stadium, I think that'll be a massive bonus for us. So yeah, I go with two nil. Um, you never know though that might be well I think it will be I think it will be a disadvantage for Liverpool you know not having the fans at Anfield because we all know the football without fans isn't quite football but you know you've got to you know you take, there's nothing anyone can do about it at this, this moment you just have to get you in the stand on your own and then just yeah, sing <laughs> I know I know if only, but the only thing about but the only thing about that is maybe it's just for, like like I say the, the only reason that it works, me doing what I do, is because people join in singing with me. If I was to sing on a stage, if I was to sing on a stage with nobody, you know, nobody listening along, and, oh, sorry, if I was singing on a stage with nobody singing along, and people would just sort of film with me, the video wouldn't, I, I wouldn't do, be able to do what I do, because it's all about whipping the crowd up and getting them singing with you. So, yeah. But, let's just hope, let's hope, eh, that, you know, it won't be too long before at least some people can get back into Anfield and support them. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Well, there we go, folks. Uh, I think that's it for tonight's Sea Live podcast. Uh, thank you so much, Jamie, for taking the time to speak to us Jamie. this evening. Uh, make sure that you go and pre-order uh, Jamie Webster's new album, We Get By, uh, like he said, available on iTunes, Spotify, uh, and all music streaming platforms. Chris, as always, thank you so much. Cheers, mate, and we'll uh, we'll see you next week. And um, we might have a little bit of uh, something new to tell you, won't we? Next week, we will, Sam? we'll have a little something. There'll be a sponsor definitely next week. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, thank you so much again, Jamie. Uh, and as always, stay safe, everyone. Thank you. Good night. And God bless. Bye bye. Yeah.